0: Good morning. Drones strike Kiev made in Iran. The United Nations calls for an end to the war in the Horn of Africa and military intervention in Haiti. Sixty years since the Cuban Missile Crisis, as close to nuclear war as ever, and a police shooting in Inwood. With these and other stories, I'm Paul D'Arienzo with the news for Tuesday morning, October 18th, 2022. The Russian Defense Ministry said today 110 Russians have returned home from Ukraine as part of a major prisoner exchange with Kiev. In exchange, Moscow released 108 female soldiers to Ukraine. Two women slated for the exchange turned down the offer and said they would like to stay in Russia, according to RT.com. Another prisoner swap organized with the Donetsk People's Republic, a Russian-backed enclave in eastern Ukraine, would involve 30 captured soldiers. The last major exchange took place in late September when 55 Russian soldiers, including those from Donbass, were freed. According to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, 215 Ukrainian soldiers were returned to their home country in the swap. Those included more than 100 members of the controversial Azov battalion said to have close ties to pro-fascists in Ukraine. Several explosions rocked central Kyiv on Monday morning. The mayor later posted a photo of what he said were parts of a drone that were destroyed. One fragment featured the word Jiran-2, the name of a so-called kamikaze drone used by Russian forces. According to some reports, the Jiran-2 is a version of the Iranian Meish-Sahed-136 drone. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said Iran is lying when it denies supplying the drones to Russia.
1: You have all have seen as well the reports this morning of what appear to be an Iranian drone striking downtown Kiev, yet Iran continues to lie about this. Uh, they have not been truthful uh, about this and deny providing weapons to Russia for use in Ukraine. Uh, meanwhile, according to these new reports, Iran is considering selling still more uh, destructive weapons to support an invasion they claim to oppose. Now, what we're, we're doing here, we'll continue to vigorously enforce you sanctions on both uh, the Russian and Iranian armed trade. That's what we'll, we'll do from here. Make it harder for Iran to sell these weapons to Russia, and we'll stand with our partners throughout the region against that Iranian threat.
0: White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, neither Moscow nor Tehran has confirmed the shipment of UAVs to Russia. Iran has said in the past that it's neutral in the conflict. In more international news, Ethiopian authorities said Monday they are aiming to get immediate control of airports and other infrastructure in Tigray, a statement followed by the capture of a town in the embattled northern region. Shire, a major northwestern town in Tigray, was captured Monday afternoon by Ethiopia's federal military and allied forces. That's according to aid workers. News of Shire's capture came as United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the situation in northern Ethiopia was becoming far more dangerous.
2: The situation in Ethiopia is spiraling out of control. Violence and destruction have reached alarming levels. The social fabric is being ripped apart. Hostilities in the Tigray region of Ethiopia must end now, including the immediate withdrawal and disengagement of Eritrean armed forces from Ethiopia. There is no military solution. Civilians are paying a horrific price. Indiscriminate attacks, including in residential areas, are killing more innocent people every day, damaging critical infrastructure and limiting access to vital services. Hundreds of thousands of people have been forced to flee their homes since hostilities resumed in August, many of them for the second time.
0: Ethiopia is under pressure to begin peace talks that were set to kick off this month in South Africa, but have been delayed. The African Union Commission urged an immediate, unconditional ceasefire in northern Ethiopia on Sunday, echoing Guterres. Millions of people in northern Ethiopia, including the neighboring regions of Amhara and Afar, have been uprooted from their homes, and tens of thousands of people are believed to have been killed since the conflict broke out in November 2020. And the United States and Mexico have proposed the deployment of a multinational force to Haiti to break what they call the stranglehold of gangs over the distribution of fuel, water, and other basic goods. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield said the aim of the force would be to improve the security situation on the ground so that the desperately needed aid could reach those in need and address the ongoing cholera crisis. Both Russia and China are critical of the idea, raising concerns a foreign force who would face popular resistance. The Haitian government has appealed for the immediate deployment of a force to bolster the Haitian police. UN Chief Guterres backed the intervention plan.
2: In the present circumstances, we need an armed action to release the port and to allow for a humanitarian corridor to be established. I'm talking of uh, something to be done in support of the Asian police and I'm talking of something to be done based on strict humanitarian criteria independent of the political dimensions of the problem that need to be solved by the Asians themselves.
0: A second resolution would impose targeted sanctions on gang leaders like Jimmy Cherizet, a former police officer known as Barbecue, who leads a gang alliance called G9 and Family. Under relentless pressure from financial markets, Britain's new Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, swept away the free market economic agenda of Prime Minister Liz Truss on Monday, reversing most of the government's planned tax cuts, the centerpiece of the Prime Minister's promise to reignite Britain's economic growth. Hunt made the announcement at Westminster.
3: We are a country that funds our promises and pays our debts. And when that is questioned, as it has been, this Government will take the difficult decisions necessary to ensure there is trust and confidence in our national finances. That means decisions of eye-watering difficulty. The third step I'm taking today, Mr Speaker, is to review the Energy Price Guarantee. That was the biggest single expense in the Growth Plan and one of the most generous schemes in the world. It's a landmark policy and will support millions of people through a difficult winter, reducing inflation by up to 5%. So I confirm today that the support we are providing between now and April next year will not change. But beyond next April, the Prime Minister and I have reluctantly agreed it would not be responsible to continue exposing the public finances to unlimited volatility in international gas prices. United Nations correspondent Ian Williams says the British
0: economy is teetering because of right-wing incompetence.
4: The biggest threat at the moment is the pension schemes. A lot of British companies were running pension schemes for their employees. A lot of them, during the boom years, decided they didn't have to put money into them because they were doing so well, thank you, very much. They took a pension holiday is what they call it. And of course, when you come to suffer from the effects of a pension policy, the first thing a libertarian non-government interference person does is to shout, hey, the government's got to bail us out. And it turned out that these people to cover up their deficits had really uh, indulged in financial, it's not engineering, financial wizardry. They They were dealing in derivatives of derivatives. To try and bolster bolster their books and make sure that they didn't have to pay any money out um it's 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 sort of like wall street on acid this was sort of in a catastrophic form right at the beginning and even the international bankers said hang on you're committed to all sorts of spending how are you going to pay for it and he sort of implied that he was going to wave his magic wand and the money will be there and the bankers didn't believe it so the pound crashed and you know, it looks like it's going to carry on crashing. That's when he was sacked by the newly appointed Liz Truss, who has shown she cannot answer questions. She didn't speak, and I don't remember
0: Bojo missing a beat. If he had an opportunity to speak, he was there at the mic.
4: No, Ignorance was bliss with Bojo. I mean... He didn't care whether people believed him or not. He went up there.
0: Is that the but reason she... you think she didn't participate today in the, the discussion? Well,
4: or? actually, she claimed it was because she was in a meeting with a senior politician. The problem was the senior politician was sitting in the House of Commons while she wasn't there. It's worse than Trump. They're not even clever enough to get their excuses straight. It really is a matter of huge incompetence. There was an open bet about whether whether she would survive Queen Elizabeth and uh so uh, a bit duddery, but he seems uh to does be- he gonna have any role in this this is the weird thing he has obscure residual powers he invites the next prime minister to the palace to form the next government so we're in the position now that under the rules that they've been busy fixing rules for parliament and the conservative party which uh, like the u.s constitution are sort of self-defeating uh, and inflexible there's no way for a vote of no confidence in Liz Truss without bringing down the whole government amazingly enough lots of conservatives facing massive defeats are not keen on this but there's no mechanism to remove her from inside parliament from inside the party she has to be persuaded to leave short of an assassination is that how um, they got rid of uh, churchill well she's not she's not going to well, she, who knows? She might do. If enough people come to say, look up with this, we will not But if to be Churchillian. Um, yeah. Then she might stand out. But then they have to have another league election. To,
0: to walk out in honor, you know, and to say, uh, I will be back again, you know.
4: Yes. Carry her out on a bloody shield. This is where those residual monarchical powers come in. It's quite possible he might go to Keir Starmer and say, please form a government, Sir Keir. Not likely, but it is possible in the face of the chaos and incompetence inside the Conservative Party when it's manifest that none of the leading candidates have any degree of popular support inside or outside Parliament. Was that th- anything Elizabeth would have done? Was that in her character? Um, Only have pushed. Only have pushed. She stays out of it. Look, she was looking after the firm. She knew that direct royal involvement in politics could be counterproductive.
0: Would her son, the king, be any different?
4: Well he's a bit more willful. He has strong opinions. Such men are da- such monarchs are dangerous. They think too much.
0: <laughs> UN correspondent Ian Williams. Lawmakers from the opposition Labour Party demanded Truss's resignation and conservative lawmakers criticized the ill fated fiscal plan. And in more international news, in his new autobiography, former Israeli prime minister Benjamin Netanyahu says in 2013, he asked President Barack Obama to order a strike on Iran's nuclear installations. According to Netanyahu, Obama refused to comply, saying nobody likes a Goliath. I don't want to be an 800-pound gorilla strutting on the world stage. For too long, we acted like that. Netanyahu doesn't mention whether he made a similar request to Obama's successor in the White House, Donald Trump, with whom he had a much closer relationship. And the United States acknowledged restarting the 2015 Iran nuclear deal is nowhere close to imminent as the Biden administration focuses on supporting the country's widespread protest movement. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre.
1: As of now, we don't see a deal coming together anytime soon. Meanwhile, regardless of the nuclear talks, we will continue to confront Iran's behavior in the region, protect our protecting uh, protect our troops, uh, including with military forces when necessary, and support the brave Iranian people who are demanding for their basic rights. They are demanding for their basic rights and dignity, which this regime has long denied them. So the United States stands with Iranian women, and all the citizens of Iran who are inspiring the world. You heard the president say this himself just a couple of days ago with their bravery and will continue to take action to impose cost on those who commit violence against peaceful protesters or otherwise seek to suppress their rights. Again, we don't see a deal coming together anytime soon.
0: Protests have shaken Iran in recent weeks, galvanized by the killing of Masa Amini, a young woman who refused to comply with Tehran's morality police. The protests exploded into a mass movement against Tehran's repressive politics. Meanwhile, the White House called Donald Trump's recent attack on American Jews anti-Semitic. In a post, Trump wrote, quote, American Jews should get their act together and appreciate Israel before it's too late. Jewish organizations swiftly criticized Trump's comments, which leaned on a trope that American Jews are more loyal to Israel than to the United States. And in more news from the nuclear front, the war in Ukraine, apparently not going well for Russia, has stirred fears a stumbling giant, a stumbling nuclear giant, backed into a corner, might resort to nuclear weapons as a last resort. Nuclear weapons have been used twice in combat in 1945 against cities in Japan, both times by the United States, killing hundreds of thousands of civilians. Meanwhile, Sunday marked the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis, lasting 13 days and bringing the world closer to nuclear war than ever, until now. Earlier this month, Asia Times columnist James Carden and former Nation editor Katrina Vanden Heuvel published an article in the online journal Responsible Statecraft titled, How Did We Avoid a Cuban Missile Armageddon? Strategic Empathy. Carden spoke the news. He says the United States is provoking the Russian bear.
5: We have chosen over the past 30 years to basically ignore the Russians and their, what I see as actually legitimate security concerns. Uh, This has to do particularly with regard to not just NATO expansion, but that's the main driver of all this. Over the past 20 years, the administration, starting with uh, George W. Bush, have torn up many of these Cold War treaties that were designed to keep the peace and keep the level of of armaments under control. Uh, So George W. Bush kicked things off by tearing up the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, and he did that at the urging of uh, John Bolton. Trump tore up the INF and the Open Skies Treaties. We've placed missile installations in Romania and Poland. All of these things the Russians have objected to and have alarmed them. So we're right up on their border, and they see that as destabilizing and threatening. And I think we would see it as destabilizing and threatening. And we certainly did see it that way when they were going to put in missiles in Cuba. And our reaction would be very much the same. It's that lack of, as Katrina Vanden Heuvel and I wrote in a recent article, a lack of strategic empathy that the Biden administration and previous administrations have shown towards legitimate Russian concerns. And so here we are in the worst security crisis since the Cuban Missile
0: Crisis. Can you describe what strategic empathy is?
5: Putting yourself in the shoes of your adversary and thinking about how would you react? How would we react if the Russians were putting missiles and military bases along our border? The response would be swift and it would be violent. The Russians have been objecting to NATO expansion for 30 years, but at some point they were going to break at some point, the hawks in their establishment were going to win the argument. Tragically, they did win the argument in February, and so Putin launched the war. But we have to remember, for all the things that we find objectionable about the authoritarian leader, Putin, he's been holding his hawks at bay for as long as he's been in office, and that's a very long time. People have been warning about this for years and years and years, that at some point, Russian patience is going to give out and there's going to be a violent reaction to our policies. Unfortunately, that's exactly what what has happened.
0: Is Russia losing or winning this war? Back into a corner, they might use nuclear weapons. If they're not losing, then they would have no need for that.
5: That's one of the dangers we need to keep in mind. Are they winning or losing? I can't say it looks like they're winning at this point. They are bound and determined to win. They're mobilizing hundreds of thousands of troops. And I would expect an offensive this fall. But no, are they winning right now? It doesn't look to me like they are. Now, will that push them into a corner? As you suggest, that's entirely possible. It's alarming to me, we are not trying as quickly as we can to get to some diplomatic solution to this crisis.
0: Asia Times columnist James Carden and former nation editor Katrina Vanden Heuvel published an article in the online journal Responsible Statecraft titled How Did We Avoid a Cuban Missile Armageddon? Strategic Empathy. And Vincent Ntondi is professor of history at Montgomery College in Maryland. He's author of African Americans Against the Bomb, Nuclear Weapons, Colonialism, and the Black Freedom Movement. Ntondi lays the blame on Russia, which he says should never have threatened to use the bomb.
6: This month marks the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis, closest the world ever came to nuclear war, nuclear annihilation. Here we are, 60 years later, and we are the closest again we've ever been. We have had more threats of nuclear war from Putin in the last say eight nine months than we have had really in 60 years. Uh, so it is a dramatically scary time right now with with Putin's threats, but also with North Korea's constant testing of missiles with China issues with Taiwan, with U.S. modernization. So there's no shortage of nuclear threats right now. It's also a time where it reminds me a lot of the 1980s, which was in some ways the height of the anti-nuclear movement, which you had everything from nuclear spills to the real threat uh, people thought of nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia. And we ended up mobilizing arguably the greatest citizen-led mobilization effort in the history of the country. We had the nuclear freeze campaign. We had uh, the largest peace rally in United States history in June of 12, 1982, in which a million people came together in the streets of New York to demand an end to the nuclear arms race. The issue becomes, can you motivate and educate folks based around fear, like we're seeing right now? And the answer to that is yes, as long as we are also providing them the hope and the agency that they can actually do something about it. Then the next step becomes: What can they do about it? In the '80s, it was the Nuclear Freeze Initiative, where they could go to their local councils and mayors and governors and schools and so on, get this on ballot initiatives, and, and really feel like they were doing something. And they did; they they moved the needle on this, did alter the Reagan administration's policy and positions. And today, that is the TPNW, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, a uh, legally banned; it's uh, they ban nuclear weapons. It's through the UN; it's ratified; it's in force. And um, I think right now that that is something that we have to dramatically get behind, educate folks on and use that as a tool to completely stigmatize nuclear weapons, isolate countries that are threatening to use nuclear weapons and make it clear that this is just unacceptable behavior.
0: What do you think of the use of the terms nuclear weapons and also by the Biden administration, Armageddon and catastrophe as the retaliation?
6: The Biden administration has so far done the right thing in that they are not downplaying the threats. But at the same time, if you read their language, they've made it pretty clear that responding with nuclear weapons is not something that they have said they are willing to go. They have not, We have not changed our nuclear posture. I do think that NATO's nuclear exercises coming up
0: is not something that we should be doing. My understanding is that Russia also does their nuclear Absolutely. practice at the same time.
6: Yes, you're absolutely correct. Right now, Russia is the biggest threat to the stability of the world, to world annihilation. We have a dictator backed into a corner right now who has never thought he was going to lose this war in this way, and that is the scary part. One of the biggest lessons we can take from this is this idea that people have had about deterrence, the idea of mutual assured destruction, the idea that if countries have nuclear weapons, nobody would be crazy enough to use them. The lessons that should be taken out of this is that this whole entire thing would be done if there were no nuclear weapons. If Putin did not have nuclear weapons, this whole entire affair would be over. This war would be done and lives would be saved. But the fact that he has nuclear weapons, he is using them as blackmail. He is using them as a threat to us to say, if he doesn't get his way, this is what's going to happen. And that is the the lesson to learn, that this cannot be tolerated by him or by anybody. No one person should have the ability to end life on the planet. And that's what we're facing right now in this man. And if we allow him to use these nuclear threats to then take any part he wants of Ukraine, that is not going to stop him. is only going to embolden him to go further and say, I can continue to do this as much as I want. And so that's why it is so dangerous to have nuclear weapons on this planet. This idea is very dangerous that the New York Times and other publications have been talking about tactical nuclear weapons or smaller nuclear weapons, strategic nuclear weapons, as if that's somehow OK. The smallest nuclear weapons we know that Russia has and these tactical nuclear weapons they talk about are... 100 times more than the bombs used in Hiroshima. So there's no such thing as a small or tactical nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons are nuclear weapons. They are completely separate from different conventional weapons, and it would be absolutely catastrophic if something like this were to happen.
0: Vincent Ntondi is professor of history at Montgomery College in Maryland. He's author of African Americans Against the Bomb, Nuclear Weapons, Colonialism, and the Black Freedom Movement. Both Russia and NATO say despite threats, neither has moved to use their nuclear arsenal and closer to home. A 29-year-old man was fatally shot by NYPD officers during an incident early Sunday in Washington Heights. According to police, at approximately 3 a.m. Sunday, members from the 3-4 Precinct Neighborhood Safety Team, successor to the anti-gun squad criticized for targeting black males under Mayor Michael Bloomberg, jumped out of an unmarked car. What happened next is murky, but Joel Capian allegedly in order to drop a weapon and was shot. There are reports Capian was already wounded in the leg. His mother is Jessica Rodriguez. The holidays are coming
6: up and my son is gone. You still can hold and see your child. I can no longer hold mine. If he did anything wrong, then he did something wrong, but he did not deserve to die the way he died. My son was born in this community. He helps everyone out. He greets everyone with kisses and hugs. He was a good kid. He's now gone. If you know something, say something.
0: NYPD Chief of Patrol Jeffrey Madde held an early morning news conference as yellow cops marked the spot where dozens of bullets were recovered.
4: We do not know exactly what the disturbance was out here. We're still investigating the disturbance, but there were a lot of people out here, and we're going to ask everybody, anybody who was out here, who may have saw anything, to please call Crime Stoppers.
0: Later, Mayor Eric Adams defended the police action. He was carrying a gun.
2: He was carrying a gun. I heard the tape. I saw the tape. Officers repeatedly stated, drop the gun, drop the gun, drop the gun. Uh, And, you know, when you run towards a gun and not away from it, it takes a special level of courage, and I'm, I'm happy that
0: I have uh, officers that are willing to put themselves in harm's way. We just had a class graduate today, uh, a little over 600, and so, again, my heart goes out to the family, and I'm sure the police department and agencies that are involved are going to reach out to those family members uh, because it's, it's, it's traumatic to lose a loved one. But, you know, he was carrying a gun. Police didn't say whether the suspect had fired at the officers. Another male had a graze wound before NYPD arrived. A gun was recovered at the scene. And finally, New York City is limiting the window for residents to take out their trash to the nighttime in an attempt to cut back on the piles of garbage bags flooding its sidewalks and attracting rodents. The city will change the time households and businesses are allowed to take out the trash to the street for collection to 8 p.m. from 4 p.m. In the first six months of 2022, complaints about trash on sidewalks jumped to 17,749 from 13,026, and rat sightings increased 71% since 2020. And that's the news for Tuesday morning, October 18th, 2022. The news was produced, written, and anchored by me, Paul Durienzo. You can get the news at pauldirienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.